Federico, a few weeks ago, you were talking about, uh, on the episode that I was not around, you were talking about a, uh, a rumor or like a prediction made on a podcast that you listened to. Yes. Which show was uh, it? It was on Kotaku Split Screen. It was, uh, I think, a prediction by J- Jason Shire um, mm-hmm. about about Microsoft. Um, yeah. It was a, a rumor. Uh, not a rumor, but he said, I wouldn't be surprised uh, if uh, during 2018, um, Valve gets acquired and maybe by Microsoft. Something like that, basically. And uh, I think you, you're bringing this up again. Because we we saw a rumor slash report by Polygon uh, two weeks ago, last week, uh, recently, about the fact that Microsoft may be considering uh, an acquisition, a big one. Yeah, it was. Uh, this some... was done in a very strange way. Um, in that yeah. Polygon had an article, like a a big article, like a kind of slight op-ed, slight you know a little bit more than that um, about. Their exclusives, something that we've spoken about on this show forever, but the lack of exclusives. And in this, they mention the fact that Microsoft have been considering buying another company to get games, right? So they said apparently that from people familiar with the matter, that kind of thing, is either EA, Valve, or PUBG. PUBG is a bad idea, right? Like, because is so different to the other two it stands out in like a cash grabby way right like you buy PUBG, so you have the most popular video game right now Mm -hmm. but valve and ea have all of the ip that they have which is exactly what they need because for example we use ea as i think i mean valve is interesting um I, i i wanted to ask you guys what you think but i think the best option here honestly is to buy ea because yeah. Valve has too much stuff which is not the games, right? Microsoft don't want to run Steam, right? That like it, that's the way I look at it anyway. But um, looking at EA, you get all of the sports games for one. And if Microsoft could say like it, they probably couldn't do it immediately, but maybe in a couple of years, FIFA, Madden are exclusive mm. to Xbox. That's gonna sell a lot of Xboxes. Right, like a lot of people are going to buy Xboxes for those games, so that would make sense to me. Shahid, what do you think? Do you one? Do you think that th- this is even a good move at all to buy another company? And if they do, which of the kind of the proposed ones or others that could be out there do you think would be worth doing? These things very rarely work. Very rarely, you nearly always lose the culture of the company that you're acquiring, which is exactly what produced the results of that company in the first place. Unless you completely ring-fence them and let them get on with what they do and don't go after exclusivity. If you look at when Microsoft acquired Minecraft, they didn't stop them working on PlayStation versions. That continued. So it was very interesting. It was to get a little bit more control over what happened with Minecraft to perhaps get some preference and priority with what happened with Minecraft, but not to completely remove it from the rest of the market. And for that reason, I don't see how buying EA would work. Well, because it would make no sense, right? Like if they just no. buy EA and then EA games are still on PlayStation, what was the point, right? Which is, 
why I continue to to raise my eyebrows at why the heck they bought Mojang, right? Because nothing changed, <laughs> um, which is, you know, I mean, maybe they just wanted to have a part of the video game unit be more profitable, right? And that's a good way to do that. But yeah, like, it's I mean, that, yeah. It's partly that, but it's also to guarantee the supply of that game to your yeah. platform. Okay, and I mean, and they've done it for stuff like the um, the mixed reality stuff as well, right? So there's you know there's interest there too. Well, the important thing is that they do do it, even when their platform isn't doing as well as the others. It's a guarantee, right? So let's say they're second or third place in the console war, they still have Minecraft. It's still a reason to buy an Xbox if. Yeah. In the future, they were to fall further behind and they didn't have Minecraft or they didn't have whatever comes out of Mojang, there would be issues. So do you think that just like flat out, there's no company to even recommend them buying here because it's not going to help? What they want are great games. and they want, they want somebody capable of producing great games. EA can't guarantee great games but they're as close as it gets to being a publisher that can guarantee great games and the number of i think 90 percent plus metacritics that ea have had over the last few years is frankly staggering i mean their quality is just superb but i don't see how they would become a better outfit you know how would it improve microsoft to have ea if ea are always going to produce games for microsoft platforms and for xbox then what sense does it make for microsoft to acquire them and potentially to damage that culture all it does is at great cost give them a guarantee of ea content on their platforms if their platforms aren't doing well that's not a winning strategy you want your platforms to do well you want to innovate you want to be ahead of the curve the other way it could be good though is at the launch of a new platform you get some kind of priority that's one way in which acquiring a publisher that controls a lot of IP could be interesting. I just don't see it, though, because, you know, why not just go after the bigger studios? It's an, it's Right now, we're in a period of really big consolidation, so I understand why these stories are going around. You know, there are, there are more and more companies doing fewer and fewer things and the fewer and fewer things are becoming bigger and bigger we expect that at this stage of the cycle it is going to be a a consolidating stage so it makes sense for them to go after somebody but ea doesn't make sense for a bunch of reasons because they're going to get that stuff anyway valve that's just not going to happen i can't see how that that could possibly go down for anyone how valve could preserve their culture which is unique and profoundly innovative as a company culture never mind the products they produce i just can't see how that would work PUBG, you're absolutely right it's just a a one game play there's absolutely no guarantee that the makers of PUBG will be able to repeat that success or that even PUBG will be a success in six months time like we it's it's a completely unknown entity right now whilst it is continuing to be the most, you know, one of the most popular video games in the world, at least multiplayer online video games in the world, which is a big market. Like, it's, we have no idea what's going to happen in even a few weeks' time, right? Like, no one knows right now what's going to happen with that. Right. Um, Federico, what do you think? 
I don't know. I thought that story on Polygon was just a little strange in the sense that, in my mind, all these big corporations are always looking to acquire other smaller but big companies. Like, you can make the argument that Apple may be looking, and if you phrase it so in in, in a generic way, yes, Apple may be considering a big acquisition in the near future because all these corporations always are considering mm-hmm. at least acquisitions. And so I thought that was a little strange the way that it was phrased. And but let's assume that that it is indeed the case um, with Valve. I I struggle to see how Microsoft can reconcile Valve, the company that makes video games, and Valve, the company that makes Steam. Um, if, if it is true, are they looking into buying Valve because they make Dota, or because maybe they want to reboot Half-Life, or because they want to get all Steam under Microsoft's control? Uh, EA, that that is the one that makes... I guess the most sense to me, especially if I can, if they can get EA to make exclusive games. But I, I just cannot see EA making, you know, uh, Xbox only games unless, unless it's a really a lot of money. And PUBG, I mean, if the problem is uh, that you want Xbox to have games, uh, well, in this case, you're just buying one, which doesn't look like a good solution to the problem of not having many video games. Uh, even if it's the biggest game in the world, it's just one video game that does not appeal. Even if it's the most popular one at the moment, it does not appeal to everybody who's potentially going to be an Xbox buyer. So, I don't know. I don't fully buy this rumor. I think, honestly, Microsoft's money should be better spent on cutting several deals, not just one big one. Because because even if it's a big one, you're not going to fix the problem that you need a full influx of games, not just a roster of one to five big games. You need 50, not five. And I think Microsoft should be looking into giving a lot of developers some money to make more Xbox game, not a lot of money to a single developer. That's my two cents. Ironically, because two cents are not a lot of money. <laughs> <laughs> there is there is something to it, though, right? Like, the, the idea, mm. there is something to the idea, right? Like, you have exclusive games, but not a lot of them. You make them, and people are not massively interested in them. The people that are going to buy them probably already have the console. You maybe don't sell many more consoles, right? Like, that's kind of where they are right now. You're able to pay some developers some money, and you're able to, like, get map packs for a couple of weeks or something like that, right? Like, that, you know, you can do some stuff there. But that's not enough, to sell a console like that you get the map three weeks early like the idea of buying ea so you secure those games right like i can see how you'd get to it but i agree with you both that that is almost just a band-aid because what would most likely happen is let's say that you decided you were going to do this and that therefore you were going to say oh and now we're gonna shut down support for playstation Mm-hmm. EA will stop making money. Like yeah. is what will happen in the short term. You will strangle that arm of the company and it won't be able to make the money that it needs to continue based upon the revenue that it was generating to therefore create the games based upon the sheer amount of talent that they're able to keep. So yeah, it's kind of like a um cutting off your nose to spite your face type situation <laughs> that they would put themselves in, I yeah. think. 
But well, yeah. you know, Go on. platforms tend to buy developers. Platforms don't tend to buy publishers, and the kind of developers that platforms tend to buy are not the ones that are doing really brilliantly right now, but the ones who are doing really well and yeah, are likely yeah. to get better and better over the coming generations. Developers want funding. And they want to fund their greatest ambitions. They want someone who's going to be into them for the next four or five generations and not give up. And that's why you have developers staying with platforms for a long time. And you see the investments in those developers going up and up and up. That's one side of it. The other side of it is that the current situation as regards the funding and recoupment of money into AAA games isn't sustainable it just isn't sustainable. There's too much money going into AAA games and it's becoming harder and harder to recoup that money. Yep. So buying into the current model could be a really big mistake. Yeah, but you know you're saying about the publisher-developer situation. I can see why if they were going to do this, they would maybe want to buy a publisher because they want as many games as possible, right? Like a developer, I guess, can only guarantee you so many games, but a publisher well there 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 is potentially again all things remaining equal more games that you can get your hands on but i think that we've outlined all of the reasons why it's not necessarily going to work that way right like you you would have to make a lot of assumptions that everything's going to remain exactly the same which i think if you made those assumptions you'd probably be making a bad bet I think I don't think that it would end up being a good transaction for you in the in the long well, run. Well, who's going to benefit? You know, that, exactly that, Mike. Who's going to benefit? How's Microsoft going to benefit? Are they, like you say, are they going to get a couple of extra map packs? Are they going to get a couple of weeks extra exclusivity? A publisher's business model is predicated on being able to target as many platforms as it thinks are profitable. If you want that to continue, what advantage as a platform are you possibly going to get? If you're a publisher looking to sell out, why would you sell to someone who's about to destroy your business model if they're talking about exclusivity? That's why these things hardly ever happen. Yeah, yeah, that makes so much sense. All right, should we take a break? Yeah. Today's show is brought to you in part by our friends at Squarespace. Use the offer code insertcoin at checkout and you'll get 10% off your first purchase. Make your next move for Squarespace because they give you all of the tools that you need to let you create a website for your next idea. It is so easy with Squarespace to grab a unique domain name, take advantage of beautiful award-winning customizable templates, have access to 24-7 support and so much more. No matter what type of website you're looking to build, Squarespace have the tools. They're an all-in-one platform. There's nothing to install, no patches to worry about no upgrades needed they take care of all that stuff for you you just go to their website you choose what you want you just drag and drop in the functionality that you need it's so simple whether you want to create a blog a portfolio an online store a site for an event a site for a band a site for a restaurant site for your wedding even they have wedding templates that are really easy to take advantage of i have been doing this we have been doing this. Me and my partner have been building a site on Squarespace for our upcoming wedding. And it's so easy. They have loads of integrations with other services, even some like um, wedding gift list services. You can drop add forms in. We need to take everybody's meal options. You can just drag and drop a form in, create a form, connect it to Google Drive, job done. It's so awesome. Squarespace plans start at just $12 a month, but you can sign up for a trial today with no credit card required just by going to squarespace.com. Use the offer code insertcoin at checkout and you'll get 10% off your first purchase and you'll be showing your support for this 
show. Our thanks to Squarespace for their continued support of Remaster and Relay FM. Squarespace, make your next move, make your next website. Got a bunch of Nintendo news, just like a, a big old stack of Nintendo news. Um, <laughs> a lot of this came out of the Nintendo earnings call. Yeah. So start off with sales. So Nintendo confirmed that between March to December, so from launch to the end of the year, uh, the Nintendo Switch sold 14.86 million units, which is an incredible feat, like just astounding feat that uh, Nintendo have been able to pull off, especially when you consider their previous console, the Wii U, and its entire lifetime, 13.56 million. <laughs> that's um, that's incredible for the Switch and also like puts the failure of the Wii, of the Wii U in perspective. Um, we were thinking, I remember like a couple of years ago, we were discussing the project uh, NX and we were saying, well, if Nintendo can manage to sell a couple million units in the first year, they will be fine. And now they have sold almost 15 million units in, in not even a full year, but just like uh, nine months, which is just incredible. Yeah. Shahid, what does that number say to you, that number, that, that 14 million number in those six months? It tells me that Switch is here to stay. And that Nintendo always, always pull it out of the bag. And you never, ever, ever write them off. That's what it tells me. I, I'm delighted for them. I mean, we were all so excited beforehand. And I'm, you know, I'm not... After uh, Wii and Wii U, particularly Wii U, I was not such a Nintendo fan anymore. I loved the SNES generation. I loved the N64 generation. Kind of GameCube, I wanted to do well, but it didn't. So I kind of went went off Nintendo for a bit. But I really wanted them to come back, and Switch completely surprised me. You know, the whole launch period, pre-launch, the advertising, the positioning, the language, the thinking that had gone behind how this is going to be beneficial to customers, the positioning of it as the whole, here's your console, but you can take it with you thing, even though, let's face it, it's pretty much advanced portable hardware. Nobody cared about that because of the way they positioned it. It was genius, all of it. And then the product came, and the product was first class. Yes, of course, it had weaknesses. Any launch product has weaknesses. You look at PS4 on day one, it had weaknesses, and it still had a storming first year. And, of course, it continues to be a storming product. These things get ironed out over time, and I'm sure um, you're going to be covering some of that over the, the rest of the show. But for me, the important thing was, what games are coming out in the first year? And how good are they? Because often launch games are good, but they're not game of the year good. Yeah. And Nintendo <laughs> and Nintendo didn't just do one game of the year. They did two games of the year yep. in the first year. And you know what? I'm still playing Super Mario Odyssey, man. I'm still playing it. Yeah, it is utter genius. The other thing is too. everyone I know, everyone I know is buying a Switch. Oh, I didn't get a Switch to begin with. You know, yesterday I had lunch with a bunch of former uh, colleagues. And one of my former colleagues said, yeah, I got a Switch and you know what? And me and my, yeah, we're absolutely hooked to Super Mario Odyssey. It's amazing. And and I'm just sitting there nodding. And I thought I would never be that guy who'd be sitting there nodding because I was always the latecomer to, to this kind of thing. So I hear more and more people saying, yeah, I, I finally jumped in. I got a Switch and damn, is Super Mario Odyssey good? Or damn, is Zelda good? You know, mm -hmm. it's uh, another one of my colleagues also bought a Switch, former colleagues. 
and uh, is is a huge Zelda fan. We'll be playing that for at least 100 hours. Probably won't match you, uh, you guys. Was it 180 hours plus? But he'll put in a solid 100 hours and he'll get a lot out of it. I'm hearing more and more stories like that. And because of that, I think it's here to stay. I think it will carry on doing well. I'm really interested in seeing when they do the price cut and when they start to think about it and position it more as a portable. Because when they start to do that, I reckon there'll be a successor to Switch, which will be beefed up and they'll be able to launch that at a higher price. I don't think they'll be able to hang on for, say, six, seven years before they do that. But that will be the point. When they do the price drop, you'll think, you know what? Switch 2 is not too far. Yeah, I think that next year... We, we, I th- we, we might see something there, but I, I don't mm-hmm. think that we're in for that too soon. Um, but okay, so 15 million units, let's say. Here's the thing. They were still supply constrained. So a quote from Tatsumi Kimishima, Nintendo's president. The company uh, still missed some opportunities during the holidays because demand remains stronger than supply. So 14.86 million units, they still didn't have enough to sell so they're going to continue to sell them pretty well like here's my question to the two of you right the playstation 2 sold 155 million units over its lifetime Mm. that is a lofty target right because nintendo is at 10 percent of that right now can they get there well i feel like that's a that's a that's a too optimistic uh, goal, um, mm-hmm. and mostly I think because the PlayStation Two was, and now Shahid can correct me if I'm wrong, but my impression is that the PlayStation Two was able to get to that number because it was made in an era where console redesigns or new consoles were released, uh, you know, after a long stretch of six to seven years. And so the place, because of the, you know, the technological progress and the fact that, you know, uh, the jump from PlayStation 2 to PlayStation 3 was, uh, you know, was a big jump and it took time for Sony to to make. But now if you take a look now at the console cycles, we're seeing these mid-cycle refreshes, for example, the Xbox One X and the PlayStation 4 Pro, because the technological advancements are getting are being made in a shorter time frame. And so I don't think the, you know, um, we're going to, I think we're going to see the Switch 2 not in six years, but maybe in four, three to four years. And from that perspective, I don't think Nintendo will be able to get to 155 million units. Um, unless, my, my counter question would be, unless the Switch becomes a family of systems, and so blurring the lines between what is a Switch 2, if Nintendo even makes like a Switch Pro or a Switch that does 4K and VR, that is effectively like a Switch 2, right. but it's still called the Nintendo Switch family. And this is how the Nintendo DS became exactly. the second largest of all time. Exactly. Because they did the DS Lite and the DSi and, and all that kind of stuff over its lifetime. Which, again, that's not outside of the... Obviously, Nintendo did that, right? They might do that again. But let's say they don't do 155. What about beating the Wii, 101? That feels more possible. Maybe, yeah. I still think the the, the Wii was that kind of... 
mass, mass market phenomenon for because of the family approach and Wii Sports and um, it, it, the Wii was a flame that maybe burned brighter, uh, but you know it it didn't last long. Um, but in that short time period, those first two couple of years, it sold like crazy. Yeah, I don't think if Nintendo can replicate that in twenty seventeen and twenty eighteen. Um, maybe just because the you know the times have changed. It does feel like it now, though. Like, the, you know, I, I mean, I was around then and and was really excited about the the Wii, and it feels like how it felt then. Like now, that's kind of what mm. this feels like. Mm. I don't know. It feels. I don't know if it feels like that. Um, mostly because I I haven't seen the same traction for a title like Wii Sports. Uh, yes, we've seen Mario Kart, but mm. I, I, I don't think the Switch is selling because it's seen as a family device. I think it's selling because it's just, it's an awesome console that you can take anywhere. So, And I don't know if the idea of the Switch has a pull, you know, as strong as the Wii. Uh, I think still the family sells more than portable, even though I absolutely love the Switch, but I, I still think that maybe the Wii was a, you know, was the exception. Um, the only, the only question is that maybe I'm too pessimistic here, and if I look at the numbers of PlayStation Four, you know, over over seventy million units sold, then it's totally possible to get to a hundred if it, if it truly takes off. Um, mostly, um, uh, I'm, I am wondering if Nintendo can replicate that because I don't know if, you know, uh, if the portable console is uh, an idea that is as easily marketable, you know, over multiple years as the idea of a family console. And also, we need to see more games. And this is a topic that we've discussed before. And yes, we've seen the Labo news and we've seen, you know, the Super Mario Odyssey updates, but we still, like, we, ha- we still haven't seen, you know, the, the, a new uh, Wii Sports for the Switch in 2018 or a new Zelda or a new Metroid or a new big franchise coming to the Switch. And so the the game situation, yes, I love the Switch, but I'm also concerned that we had those big two titles and then we got to wait until 2019 for something big and new. What do you think, Shahid? Well, I can't argue with how you feel, Mike, um, but I think we have a different environment. So it might be that the device provokes a similar feeling for a lot of people, a lot of the same nostalgia as well. But I think the environment is massively different. So even if they'd launched something today that was family-focused, like the Wii seemed to be, I'm not sure that it would be successful today. Because I just don't think the TV is as important as it used to be back in the days of Wii. I think mobile and a personal screen has become a lot more important. We've become a lot more fractured. We tend to play a lot more isolated. Multiplayer is now less social, but I see that... um, uh, Switch, thankfully, seems to be partially reversing that, which is good to see. But when I say less social, I mean fewer people couch playing together, you know? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. More and more people playing with headsets. That's how uh, online happens to be. And it's no accident that the online offering with Switch at the moment is not that great. It's a very personal device. 
And I think that's one of the reasons why it's done so well, because there isn't anything in that space, an amazing personal gaming device. I think it's actually managed to pick up a lot of slack that Vita left. And that sounds crazy. I think there was there was real demand for a meaningful portable device, one that had a lot of other strengths. And the Switch, of course, has the strength of not just being able to plug it into the telly, but the controller variety is just crazy. The ways in which you can play that device are absolutely crazy. So for that reason, despite it being a really, really friendly device, it's also a lot less family focused. It just seems to me more of a a gamers, a Nintendo gamers device. And for that reason, I think if they do have a huge success with the Switch family, as Federico put it, then it's likely to achieve DS-style numbers. Yes, I know that the life cycle of these things has become more and more compressed, but that's not a problem if you stay within the family and you just do upgrades here and there. And I think they will do that. They'd be crazy not to. Why would they move away from such a successful form factor? It makes no sense. You know, the other thing, we've talked about it being supply constrained, right? Well, what does that mean? That means they don't need to drop the price. Yeah, Mm -hmm. they don't. Yeah. it's just crazy. That mm-hmm. means they've got they've got a lot more life. You you know that they're starting to get uh, a drop in demand when they have to go for a price drop because what happens at that point is they've exhausted all of the the hardcore customers. They haven't even done that yet, which tells me that the hardcore hasn't been used up yet. And I can confirm this from my own personal example by saying that people I know who are in the industry, who are hardcore gamers, way hardcore than me, and who like Nintendo in the past, are still buying Switches now, almost a year after it came out. They didn't buy on day one, but they're now being pulled in by the magic of this thing. And more and more people are going to experience that. So I suspect this device has got a long, long way to run. I would be very, very happy to see it break 100 million, and I think it can do that. I don't know if it will hit 155 million, different era, different time, massive series of price cuts. PS2 eventually went down to around 99 quid, I think. PS1 did the same. They both had 10-year life cycles. We ain't going to get a 10-year life cycle for a a device anymore. And the PS2 and PS1 remained fundamentally unchanged. They weren't really family devices. Yes, the form factor changed. And yes, backwards compatibility on PS2 was removed later on in the life. But the Switch is not going to get that. It is going to have to be upgraded, I suspect. But it is still going to be, I would imagine, backward compatible. You will have the 4K thing, like Federico said at some point. Though I don't think that's a priority. I really don't think Nintendo care too much about 4K. And why should they? It's just going to stress the graphics chip for no reason. But I do think it will have newer form factors i think it will become cheaper i think they'll have more controllers i think they'll have more quirky stuff like labo yeah i'm, very, I'm looking forward to to labo like that seems like a lot of fun i'm i'm looking forward to seeing how it ends up turning out mm-hmm. um, and if it could do anything to to push it further who knows but we did get some more statistics um interestingly super mario odyssey was the best selling uh, first party title um, it ended up beating out Zelda. Uh, Odyssey sold 9.07 million copies. Mario Kart 8 Deluxe sold 7.33. Zelda sold 6.7. And Splatoon sold 4.91 million. These are all in a million, obviously, not you know in thousands or anything. They're only a million. Uh, and so Splatoon 2 surpassed Splatoon 1 in sales. Um, hmm. 
an interesting statistic. Super Mario Odyssey sold more copies on Switch than Star Wars Battlefront 2 did on all platforms combined, including <laughs> Xbox One, PC, and PlayStation 4. Now, of course, yeah. it is worth noting, if you're going to make that comparison, which was uh, I've lifted from a great Eurogamer article, like rounding us up, and it, it, they put, um, Tom Phillips point, pointed that out in Eurogamer, um, Battlefront 2 was marred in controversy over loot boxes. Yeah, which definitely I was about to say sales, that. <laughs> definitely affected sales, but it's still interesting nonetheless, right? That just, yeah. you know, the amount of size and scale of money that went into that game, but Nintendo were able to beat it by staying true to what makes that game great and wanting to make their fans happy. Yeah, um... Odyssey is impressive that almost 3 million, over, you know, 2.5 million units more than Zelda, which is surprising because, you know, I thought, you know, Zelda is the more critically acclaimed game of the year, according to basically everybody. And Zelda had like a five-month head start as well, right? Like Odyssey only came out in October. Yeah, and, you know, uh, it was such that kind of massive game that, you know, it makes total sense for everybody who gets a Switch to also get Zelda. But I would argue that the marketing for Odyssey was much, much more aggressive than the for Zelda. Like, I'm still seeing Odyssey commercials in Italy on TV yeah. r- regularly. I and, mean, and that makes sense uh, because, you know, the, the, the marketing for Zelda was wrapped up in the console right like there was the console was happening at the same time and there was definitely more of a push on selling the console yeah where like for mario it's selling mario but yeah it is way stronger i'm not surprised (laughs) not surprised and i I tell you why coming from you (laughs) mario never writes off mario (laughs) Uh, uh, i feel like we're rewriting history here shahid a, okay, it's I never convenient. <laughs> never, let me, let never me tell for you one second. <laughs> let me tell, tell you why I think Mario did better. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Mario is quintessential Mario. It's perfected Mario. Whereas Zelda was not authentic Zelda, slightly different Zelda. It was, you know, for most commentators, the superior game. But that's not the point. I think what people were getting with Mario was the perfect expression of Mario. What people were getting with Zelda was a different expression of Zelda. Better, certainly, but different. And people like to play safe when they buy their console. And I suspect that's why Mario did better. But, you know, the bigger story here is, here is a company that in its first year has sold almost 30 million copies of first-party titles. They must be partying in Nintendo HQ. That is a staggering figure. Because that means every single person that bought a Switch, on average, bought two Nintendo games. It's incredible. It's incredible. Full price as well. Yes, yes. Yes, very much full price. All right, so... um, Federico, I see that you have a note in here about something yes. Super Mario uh, Bros. related. So uh, this is not about any actual uh, shipping game that you can buy, but on the topic of um, fan-made games and remakes or remasters, uh, it's a topic that we discussed a while back here on the show. I wanted to point out this story that I saw on Eurogamer, which is just um, incredible. Um, fans have created a full uh, 80 
that's eight zero um level sequel to new super mario bros ds this is 80 levels made by fans using um and a, and a new Super Mario Bros. editor. It's a program that runs on PC, and uh, it's called the NSMBE, stands for editor. Uh, it was actually released before Nintendo made Mario Maker, and it allows the fan community to use um, new assets as well as uh, reuse old uh, graphics and sounds from previous Nintendo games. Um, and so this this group of people, they have made uh, a new version of New Super Mario Bros. DS. It's a game from, tw- from 2006. And if you take a look at the video, there's a, there's a link to Eurogamer, but there's also a video on YouTube. And the dedication that went into this project, to me, is just incredible because it looks... Um, it's plausible. It looks like a Nintendo game. There's a... If you really pay attention, you can see some animations, animations or some characters that make you think like, ah, oh, this is not fully Nintendo, but the illusion is there. And the idea that these people have spent years putting together 80 levels for, you know, effectively something that is does not exist in the sense that I cannot go into a store and buy this game... Um, it, it, I think it's fascinating that, uh, you know, Nintendo doesn't like these projects. Um, you cannot, of course, b- buy this pro- this game in any official way. You can just download it and run it through an emulator and a program on a computer. But it's the passion that speaks to me. The, the, the Sort of the obsession even with making stuff, making levels for a game that is not supported anymore. And just, you know, sometimes the creativity of people can still surprise me, and this is one of those cases. Mario Kart Tour has been announced. We know Mm. nothing except the name and that it is Nintendo's next mobile game uh, releasing in 2019. Mm. Okay. So I have a couple of questions here. Are we thinking portrait mode or landscape game and are we thinking virtual buttons or gyroscope this is not gonna be a mario kart game the way we know it oh so you think it's not gonna be a racing game it might be a racing game but it's not gonna be it's not gonna look like mario kart that it won't in the it will look like mario kart in the same way that super mario run looked like super mario Mm, like they're gonna make some kind of game but I don't think it's going to be a accelerate, break, left, right, virtual buttons right. Mm-hmm. type game. Like I don't know what it is, but it I I can't imagine it being normal because none of their other games have been. And if anything, this is like one of the hardest types of games to do in a, in like a full way. So I I don't know. I don't know. It's likely to be super casual and use the full assist type stuff that you get right. in in mario already right mm, so it'll have some kind of steering assist it will have full-on acceleration all the time all you'll be able to do is break um and maybe have another thing for weapons uh, for weapons yeah. you know yeah exactly i suspect it, if you really want to steer you'll use gyroscope and you know you can do that with with the switch as well of course so it's it's just going to be really really watered down it's not going to be a proper um, Switch style experience or even a SNES style experience. It's going to be a mobile experience. I would be very surprised 
if they did it in anything other than landscape. I don't think the sort of thing is going to work in portrait. You need that width. Otherwise, you can't see what's going on, really. You know, that you can't see too far in the distance. There's no point in having the verticality. You can only see so far, so you need to have it landscape. So I think it'll be landscape. I think it'll be full-on assistance everywhere, and it'll be very casual, very light. But it'll still be fun. Just won't be Mario Kart as, as we love it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, does this also mean that we're going to get, like, another Mario Kart in 2019? Because uh, Nintendo likes to time these mobile races to, you know, uh, to promote or to push people to to the uh, to the serious franchise on consoles. So it seems fair to imagine that, given that Mario Kart Deluxe was, you know, a Wii U game updated for the Switch, a new Mario Kart maybe maybe fall twenty nineteen, you know, holiday season twenty nineteen. That would make sense. Yeah. I think that that would make sense because there should. I mean, but see, th- th- the thing is, I think we always were under the impression. I mean, because Nintendo kind of said it that these games would ma- match up with and would somehow mix together with console games, but that hasn't happened yet, right? Mario Run yeah. does not link in with Odyssey. There is no Animal Crossing game, and nor is there one announced. Right, do you know what I, they're not linking together? If they were supposed to, they've not done a very good job of it so far. Yeah, that is true. So, talking about your friend Mario, Shahid, you're going to get to see him on the big screen because, in a move that really doesn't make sense to me as to why it's happening in 2018, like why it hadn't happened before and is now happening now, um, Nintendo has partnered with Illumination uh, Entertainment. They're a company that are responsible for uh, Despicable Me and the Minions movies. Um, Mm -hmm. And Shigeru Miyamoto and Chris Melendrandi, he is the, uh, Chris is the head of Illumination Entertainment. They're going to be co-producing the picture. I mean, I can see it makes sense to do it now because they're doing like the theme park stuff. But like all of this stuff with the Mario branding, it's strange that it's taking them so long to do it all. But we're going to get to see our favorite plumber on the big screen. Well, I mean, it's uh, judging from who's working on this, uh, I have a pretty good feeling that it'll be better than the, you know, the the movie from the what was that from the nineties? You know, the, the Super Mario movie with the uh, with the real actors. Um, it was a terrible, terrible movie. Um, have you ever seen the the Mario movie? The uh, live action one. The the live action one, yeah. Yeah, I've seen it. So bad. Yes, it's very bad. Such a bad movie. So hopefully this should be better than that movie. The Switch Online service is going to be debuting in September uh, of this year. It got pushed back to 2018. But at this point, we're going to be getting the online service 18 months after the launch of the console, which is very peculiar. Uh, to recap, three ninety nine a month, nineteen ninety nine a year, online play and classic games with some online features. That's what's been announced. There has been no new announcements for any features or kind of why it's going to be as late as it is. But that's kind of where mm. Nintendo are with it right now. Uh, I still think there should be the the Netflix style virtual console, and you pay your monthly fee and you get access to hundreds of old games. Uh, still I still believe. I just, yeah, it's not gonna happen. They're just gonna I don't keep making those boxes ha- yeah. and selling them to you for a hundred dollars a time. Yeah, I guess, but it's still. Uh, I think it would be awesome. And also, um, oh, sorry, crap, I forgot what I was about to say. That's okay. 
I can do yeah. that. Um, hold on. Uh, oh, well, just okay. go ahead. Okay, <laughs> It's fine. <laughs> and last up, uh, there's been some Labo hands-on, and it looks fun. Like, it doesn't look like the like a, it's going to set the wall on fire, but it looks like it's a fun little thing that could end up becoming a word-of-mouthy type of, have you tried this? It's really cool for the kids. You know, you never know. But it looks like fun. The IR camera is being put to some really good use, finally. Um, it looks like some cool... Hardware. I'm. I'm. I, having seen some of the videos, I'm more interested to try it than I even was before. Right? Because it's just like this looks weird and fun and kind of cool. Are you gonna pick up the robot suit? Are you gonna dress like a robot and walk around the house? I haven't got the robot suit because I. I think I'm too big for the robot suit. Just physically, I don't think that the robot suit will fit me. Um, but I have got the other one on the way. I pre-ordered it. The, the the one that's like the six in one dealio, I pre-ordered that. So I'm looking forward mm-hmm. to it. Looking forward to building some stuff out of cardboard and putting it to the test. We'll see. All right, there's a couple of things. There's a couple of Sony things that I wanted to uh, to to talk about today as well before we're done. Um, but first off, let me thank our second sponsor for this week's episode, and that is our friends over at Mac Walden. Mac Walden make the most comfortable underwear, socks, shirts, undershirts, hoodies, and sweatpants you're ever going to wear. Frankly, Mac Walden is better than whatever you're wearing right now, unless you're me, because I'm wearing my Mac Walden sweatpants right now, and I'm very comfortable in them. The reason I'm very comfortable is because Mac Walden make everything with premium cotton blended with natural fibers. They believe that by pairing premium fabrics with meticulous attention to detail and coupling of a simple shopping experience, that they can deliver a new level of daily comfort straight to your door. Mac Walden is so confident of this, they have a no questions asked return policy. If you, for any reason you don't like your first pair, just keep it and they'll refund you, no questions asked. Uh, Mac Walden do a great line of stuff as well as um, socks and shirts, and, and underwear and sweatpants. They also have their silver underwear line and shirts, which are naturally antimicrobial. They do some really great stuff, and I love everything that I have from them. I have underwear and socks and my favorite, favorite sweatpants. Listeners of this show can get 20% off at MacWeldon.com with the code REMASTER. MacWeldon's clothing is great for working out, going to work, traveling, or just about anything for everyday life. Their stuff looks good and performs well too. That is MacWeldon.com, M-A-C, C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com and the code REMASTER for 20% off. Our thanks to Mac Weldon for their support of this show and Relay FM. A couple of Sony stories to, to round out this week's episode. Um, there was a, a, a patent filed um, by Sony for a, well, some kind of new motion controller. Uh, I think Finally. just by looking at it, I mean, uh, there's this stuff in the patent to, to indicate, but by looking at it, you can tell that it is a replacement for the move controllers. Um, and it looks um, a lot more like the Vive controller. Um, mm. There's no big shiny ball on it. It's got a, like a quite thick cylindrical handle to it. Uh, it looks pretty interesting. My hope, my only hope with all of this, and we spoke about it before, is better tracking. Um, and Gamma Sutra, who poured out this patent, also spoke about another patent in their article that indicated that a new headset, a new PSVR headset, could be responsible for doing tracking in the future opposed to a camera. I like that idea because, mm-hmm. in theory, 
if you can track the 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 controllers with the headset, they're always going to be within a certain range of each other. And then it would eliminate the requirement for room size, in theory. So I like that idea. Um, these controllers will also have individual finger tracking, which from the Oculus mm. Touch, uh, I remember from my time spent with the Oculus Touch, that was one of my favorite things about it, that you could... You know, you could move your fingers around and on, like lifting them up and putting them down again, uh, and it would recognize all of that. So I hope that this is it, and I hope that Sony are able to rev the hardware. Um, in my opinion, I don't care if they have to like start all over again, like new, new everything, um, because their product was good, but it could be great, and I would like to see them make a great one. Would you buy another one? It depends. Like from scratch? It, de mm. it depends. So if I wasn't going to be going down the PC route, which I'm still planning on, then yes, I would. So then it will just depend on the games. So like if Sony have some exclusive VR titles that I really want to play, then yeah, maybe I would consider it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I really hope they do the new motion controller stuff. Um, just what was that last week? Uh, I invited some friends who had never tried VR before to play with the PlayStation VR and setting up the move controllers with the camera and the, the tracking with the colored light bulb is just so bad. It's just such a bad experience. And even the design of the of the of the buttons, the physical buttons on the controller, you cannot feel them easily. And so every time there's someone with a headset on and there's a there's a prompt on the screen that says press X or this button on the move controller. And and the person is like, Well, what is this button? Where is this button? And and I have like to lean over and sort of <laughs> talking to their ear or move their yeah, fingers so to, yeah. to, to show them where the button is just such a bad design you know and it's awkward also because you gotta you know have uh gotta have a lot of contact to teach people how to use the <laughs> controller um which can be you know when you invite some friends who have you know friends of friends and it can be can be strange um anyway i really do hope that they make something similar to the whether it's the oculus touch or the vive um i wonder uh if and i think shahid mentioned this on the last show um, haptics. What's the situation with haptics on on these controllers? Can can a company like Sony make a controller that uses advanced haptics uh, to uh, to simulate feedback from the game? Well, it depends what kind of haptics you're talking about. If you're talking about some kind of uh, pseudo high def rumble, yeah. like you have on the Oculus Touch controllers, probably. If you mean full-on servo motors limiting your motion, uh, then I very much doubt that they do that in the next generation consumer product. So mm -hmm. high def rumble, yeah, I think that's entirely feasible and probably inevitable because they already have vibration in the standard move controller. It's just extremely old vibration. And the the world of vibration has moved on significantly since those days. So I think they'll probably do that. And there's no no doubt something better is coming. Whether it's this, I don't know. I mean, the patents are there, but the actual form factor doesn't have to be as the patent describes. So it, it could end up being a combination of things that they've patented in the final device. All right, so before we um, finish up today, Shahid, do you want to talk about the news of Kaz Hirai stepping down at Sony? I do. Kaz Hirai is one of the greatest business leaders in corporate history. 
Everything he's touched seems to turn to gold. It's obviously for someone like me who was there when he was at his absolute peak and who left before he did. It was an honour to see how he transformed not just PlayStation, because he was Sony's head, but the whole of Sony. He empowered those at PlayStation to do incredible things, of course, but he transformed the whole of Sony in a manner that's really hard to take in. I'll give you an example. When when he started as CEO of Sony, which was back in April 2012, it was not that long after Sony was in incredible, incredibly bad shape. And we're talking about a, a turnaround that took Sony from losses of billions of dollars to profits of billions of dollars. And how did he do that? All throughout his career at PlayStation, which is long and notable, he's talked about the Japanese concept of kando, which is, loose translation, establishing an emotional connection. The way we look at it in the West is we just call that the wow factor. And I want to bring up a, something that he said in an interview with The Guardian. I think this is in January this year. He said, anybody can provide functional value in this commoditized space. But emotional value is something that has been part of the Sony design philosophy, part of the Sony DNA, since the company started 71 years ago. We kind of lost it for a while. And my job has been to revive that pride in what we do in terms of providing emotional value. And that's exactly what he did. You know, he he brought back some of that feel-good factor around PlayStation in, in a way that is very, very hard to believe unless you had experienced it from the inside. And we really were in a very, very bad place. But around about 2012, there was talk of Sony being in really serious trouble unless the next generation of console did well. And it didn't just do well, as we know. You know, that's that's a story in its own right, and we've told it many times. But basically, he brought the company from near collapse to their largest operating profit. He actually took over as PlayStation CEO in 2006. So, you know, he rose to the top of Sony coming through PlayStation. And 2006, I don't know if you remember, was a really brutal time because that was around the time of the launch of the PS3, and it wasn't well-received. Two billion US dollars had been sunk into the development of cell technology, where Sony partnered with IBM to create this incredibly complex chip, which developers found incredibly hard to program. I mean, yes, it was hugely powerful. And that was seen towards the end of the PS3's life, when eventually things got turned around. And it was him taking over from Kutaragi-san that saw the turnaround. So from the absolute nadir around 2006, 2007, 2008, where there were job cuts as well, he took PlayStation and Sony to a point where the product lines were rationalized, everything was simplified, the joy was brought back into the products. I mean, let's not forget the cameras, stuff like the uh, A72R and more recently the A73R. Sony's optics are the best in the world. They feature in the iPhone, of course. They are the, the absolute best cameras and they are the absolute best optics. Sadly, he did have to cut a lot of division to do that. In many ways, it reminds me of what Steve Jobs did when he rejoined Apple. You know, he had to cut the Newton. There are a lot of things he cut, and he had to do that because he wanted to focus on the stuff that really made a difference. And Kaz Hirai did exactly the same.
cut everything right down, focused on PlayStation, focused on digital imaging, TV and smartphones, which some would argue was not a wise move, but his strategy was, well, we want to stay connected to the communications business. I'd say in six years, he's managed to restore Sony's shining image. That's what he wanted to do, and he achieved that. And at his absolute peak, where everything got turned around, he decided to hand over the reins. I mean, he's going to continue as chairman, but I have to say, it's been, for me, profound to see such a brilliant man at work, to make so many bold and difficult decisions, and yet to have total belief that the company could come back to its former heights. So whatever he does, apart from being chairman of Sony, I wish him all the very best, and I'm sure all the listeners do too. He's done an incredible job. Thank you, Hirai-san. I want to ask you, what does it say that he's done this? It says that he's, his mission is accomplished. Huh, okay. His job, his job was to bring joy back, and he did that. When you use PlayStation's products, when you use Sony products, when you use their cameras, when you use their gaming consoles... They're just incredible products. They really are incredible products. You feel amazing using them. I have a Sony camera now as well. I have an Alpha 6500 something or other. And it's amazing. Absolutely amazing. Um, I don't really need to say an awful lot about the PlayStation. But I think it says that he did what he wanted to do. He brought joy back. He brought profit back. He rationalized the product lines. He made people believe in Sony again. Sony has his halo back. What else is there left for him to do? You know, he turned the company around from massive losses to massive profit. The biggest profits in its history. What more is there left for him to do at, at Sony? Not an awful lot. I mean, he'll continue as chairman, but I think that's it. He, there's The other thing is, you know, when you're working at the top, at the very top, you get tired. You know, he's he's been all over the world, working intensely in every division, giving everything as much attention as he possibly can. That puts an enormous strain. You can only do it for so long. So maybe he needed a rest. <laughs> yeah, maybe he did. Maybe he did. <laughs>